This is Points North, a show from Interlochen Public Radio, where we hear about life in northern Michigan through the news, the people, and the places. I'm Dan Wanshura. And I'm Morgan Springer. Coming up later on the show, after school bonds fail, some districts keep asking taxpayers again and again to change their minds. People just want to know what, you know, what are you going to be buying with this? A story about one small district's renewed attempt, that's coming up. Plus, local musicians play a violin that made it through the Holocaust. But first, Bayview Association, a summer resort community in Petoskey, has been under fire for alleged housing discrimination. Morgan, you've followed this story quite a bit, and there's an update. Yeah, a group of homeowners in Bayview has filed a second lawsuit against the association, and they're claiming there's housing discrimination based on religion there. You say second lawsuit. Why are there two? Well, their first lawsuit said Bayview was illegally limiting private homeownership just to practicing Christians. But then Bayview changed that rule last summer, and now anyone of any faith can buy a home and be a member. But they're just asked to respect the principles of the United Methodist Church. But the plaintiffs still aren't satisfied with that. Here's Don Duquette. He's a Christian himself, along with many of the other plaintiffs. It's not religion we object to. In fact, we embrace religion. What we object to is a mandatory imposition of uh, religious doctrine on everybody who lives uh, in this great community. And Duquette says this second suit is kind of a cautionary measure because despite those changes, they still think Bayview is discriminatory in its housing practices, and they want to be crystal clear with the judge. What does Bayview have to say about this new lawsuit? Bayview Association provided written comments. They say that they believe their current rules are legal and they have the proof to back it up. They say, yes, they are asking new members to respect the United Methodist Church, but, quote, respecting those principles does not require adherence to any religion or theology, end quote. And we'll have their full statement at our website, pointsnorthradio.org. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development got involved last year, and this February they charged Bayview with housing discrimination. What's happening here, Morgan? HUD's basically alleging the same thing as those other lawsuits, and Bayview has come back with the same sort of argument. Okay, so the two lawsuits and this HUD claim, what happens next in all this? In May, Bayview, the plaintiffs, and HUD representatives are scheduled to go to mediation. And then in June, if mediation doesn't work out, HUD is expected to officially file their claim against Bayview. All right. Morgan, thanks for catching us up. You're welcome. This is Points North. I'm Morgan Springer. Dozens of school districts across Michigan will put bond proposals to voters next month. They're asking residents to pay for improvements in schools. But in some small communities in northern Michigan, a tax hike for your schools can be a tough sell. IPR's Max Johnston reports. McBain is a small town in Misaki County, and its calling card is dairy farming. There's a crop or farming supply store wherever you look, and the town smells faintly of manure, but not in a bad way. McBain is so synonymous with farming that their school is actually named after it. McBain Rural Agricultural School is right across the street from a feed store. Steve Prizel is the district superintendent. You're definitely going to see a lot of tractors and a lot of hard workers. McBain Rural Agricultural School has about 1,000 students in grades K through 12. Unlike most other districts, McBain's is all packed into one building. 
high school students mentor the the elementary students and and we're able to share some staff we're able to be you know, I think pretty efficient operations-wise because it is all one building. Prizel says the district prides itself on that efficiency, but they have room to improve. For the past year, the school board has been working on a bond proposal that would ask residents to pay for some external and internal changes to the building. They put a similar one to voters last May, but that failed. Prizel says that bond had some fluff, like a plan for more parking and to add some classrooms. Those ideas have been scrapped. He says the new proposal is more nuts and bolts. It's nothing extravagant. It's, you know, we're talking about um, roofs and boilers and buses and computers. The new proposal asks for a little over $14 million over a 10-year span. Some of the improvements are clearly visible, like new tech for their computer labs. Prizel opens the door to one mid-lesson. So they're, right. they're, they're just they're, they're little sponges, you know, as far as what... Being in front of a computer, they're really comfortable. Hey, you have yeah, I love it. I recognize some of those computers from when I was in. <laughs> yeah, that's those are pretty. Uh, those are pretty old computers right there. Some of the other changes are ones that taxpayers won't see. Literally, Prizel showed me the school's basement. It's hot in here. It's hot in here. I mean, and you, and you've got your, you know, your your pumps, and you've got. Uh, your systems and I won't even turn this light on, but I mean, you got your air, air handlers. The bond would pay for replacing some old leaking boilers and AC equipment. You know, these parts of the building where this is how we keep everybody warm and dry. Prizel says the board is still mulling over when they'll put the new proposal to a vote. Right now, they're aiming for November. The school district scaled back the proposal to improve its chance of passing. Jennifer Smith is with the Michigan Association of School Boards. She says small communities can have a hard time convincing voters to pay for improvements in their schools. A lot of things, like an area's demographics or property values, can factor into these school bonds. If you go into a low socioeconomic district and ask for a really high tax increase, you're probably not going to get it. Just last November, voters in the small village of Mesick voted down a school bond for the third straight time. Cindy Short lives in Mesick and voted no. Because I'm a senior and I don't have any little kids in school and I don't have any grandkids up here and I can't afford any more taxes. But Debbie Stanton, who voted yes each time, sees it differently. Because uh, education is the number one thing that you can give kids. Steve Prizel says McBain listened to the community after their last bond failed and took that into consideration on the new one. To get the $14 million, the district wants to double McBain's millage rate to 3.8 mills. The state average is over five. Prizel says he's optimistic about this one, but he's not naive. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you're asking for people to have, you know, to spend more money on their local school, which I think McBain will. But, you know, when you look at your area and you look at the farming community, um, it's pretty tough right now. State records show that bonds in rural communities pass or fail on a whim. Ludington, Benzie, and Kingsley are just a few other school districts in northern Michigan that will have bond proposals on the ballot on May 7th. For Points North, I'm Max Johnston. This is Points North. I'm Dan Wanshura. Right now, Libor Ondras is tuning a violin which made it through the Holocaust. Ondras is the music director of the Great Lakes Chamber Orchestra in Petoskey. The violin is a rich brown color. It has a beautiful inlaid Star of David decorating the back of it. 
Ondras says instruments like this one offered a little bit of normalcy for Jewish prisoners kept in concentration camps all over Europe. Being able to hear some music um, gave them strength to go on and perhaps hope to, that this, is one, this once will be over. The Nazis would sometimes spare Jewish musicians headed for the gas chambers because of their musical talent. Judy Zorn is the executive director of the Great Lakes Chamber Orchestra. They had orchestras that played in the morning when prisoners were going out to work, to the work camps. They played when they were coming back in. They played when they were in line for the gas chambers. They played for executions. They played for a lot of things. The violin that Ondras is playing was restored by a man named Amnon Weinstein, a violin maker in Israel. Decades ago, he came across a violin which made it through the Auschwitz concentration camp. When he cracked open the case, he found ashes from the crematorium inside. After that, Weinstein began collecting other instruments from the Holocaust and started a project called Violins of Hope. He's collected over 60 instruments. He restores them and then loans them to musicians and orchestras around the world. What this project certainly means to Amon Weinstein is to give a voice to the musicians who were silenced, and now these instruments speak again. On Sunday night, Libor Ondras will open the Violins of Hope concert in Petoskey with this solo called Tfila by Lara Auerbach. When he's done performing, he'll pass the instrument on to the concertmaster, who will then take a turn playing it. And so, the violin will get passed down through the entire violin section of the Great Lakes Chamber Orchestra. You can see a picture of the violin on our website, interlockinpublicradio.org. And that's a wrap on Points North this week. I'm Morgan Springer. And I'm Dan Wanshura. Catch past episodes at pointsnorthradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts.